saying, let the amen sound from his people again. Church, as we come together, when we say amen, oftentimes what that means is we're closing a prayer or something said in a statement, someone preaching God's word, and it's affirming what we believe is true together. And so we let the amen sound from his people again. We've come together today as God's church to affirm together what we believe is true in the gospel and in God's word the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you're visiting today here at Castleton, if you're newer with us, we're so glad to have you. We're so glad uh, for you to join us today. We hope that you are encouraged in this truth, the truth from the gospel and from God's word today. We hope that it leads you to know and trust Jesus. That is our mission here at Castleton. We want to lead people to know and trust Jesus. If you want to learn more about that, we'd love to interact with you. There's a Next Steps card in front of you. You could fill that out and turn it into our Next Steps table after service, and we'd love to talk with you more. Friends, I want to welcome you all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, today kicks off our week of prayer and fasting. Many of you might remember that from 2019 when we did it last. Uh, we were unable to do it last, week, last year in 2020, but we're so excited to see what God has in store for us as his church as we seek his face together through the means of prayer and fasting this week. Uh, what better way to do that and to kick that off than to start in the best of places in God's word. In Psalm 18, where it calls us to worship, this is what it says. It's a Psalm of David. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The Psalm calls the Lord our rock. He is the solid foundation upon which our salvation stands. And would we as his people follow in the footsteps of the psalmist where in verse three, he calls on the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And as we call on him today, would we find rest for all that would weary us, all that would trouble our souls today, and find rest in his goodness. So let's call on Jesus, the rock of our salvation together now.
Church, I'm going to read a couple passages of Scripture for us as we begin our week of prayer and fasting. I thought it would be fitting to read a couple texts that are keyed in on this subject of prayer and fasting. The first one comes from Joel chapter 1, verse 14. It says, Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. And the second one coming from Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. It says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Just in these two short texts, we see that prayer and fasting are a way, it's a means by which God's people are to seek the Lord's face, to call out to the Lord, to cry out to the Lord, as it says in Joel. And we have such a privilege that we can come to the Lord in prayer and gather together and seek his face. Why? Because of Jesus, because he has been the forerunner. He's our great high priest who has made a way for us to come boldly before our Father in prayer. And so we're going to sing now of that great privilege that we have together to pray and to seek the Lord and to cry out to the Lord our God. So I hope you'll sing with us as we sing about that great privilege and blessing of coming to Jesus in prayer. Thank you. 
privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Let's do so now. We now come before you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word through whom all things were made, our advocate, our savior, our light, and our life. We do so through the power of your Holy Spirit, the comforter, the spirit of truth, who is sent to teach us all things and to bring all things to remembrance. 
And Lord, we do this this morning reminded that you are the great I am in whom there is no darkness at all, who created all things for your glory. You alone are holy and incredibly rich in mercy. Thank you that you have pardoned us freely, counted us righteous, adopted us as your beloved children, crucified our old nature, and raised us to new life all in Christ. And while it is our greatest joy to serve you gladly and wholeheartedly, we confess we're not so very different from the kings of Israel of whom we read, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with his whole heart. The first and greatest commandment is to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Instead, we've given our hearts to everything but you, things that are mere shadows of your all-surpassing glory and goodness. We've allowed our minds to be fed by confusing, conflicting, insulting, negative media and other input, which leads to fear, anxiety, depression, and hatred, thereby conforming to the pattern of this world rather than being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And with the tongue, we bless you, our Lord and Heavenly Father, yet we also use it to curse people who are made in your image. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing, and this should not be. In light of these confessions, Lord, we echo the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? Oh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you that in Christ there is no condemnation and that the law of spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. But we know that we're not home yet, Lord. This world is still subject to brokenness and frustration. And so, Lord, we eagerly lift up our needs and requests to you. For those in our church family who are struggling with chronic and acute illness and pain, Lord, would you please be their healer, their comfort, their peace. And for those enduring a season of sorrow, may they be like Paul, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing in their faithful Savior and blessed hope. Help us, as the body of Christ, to be sensitive to their needs and care for them accordingly. For when one member of our body hurts, we all do. We pray for marriages to be strong, families to be united, and single people of all ages to know that they are essential to our church and have valuable gifts to offer. We pray for wisdom and grace to be poured out on our pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff. Please continue to do a great gospel work through them with compassion and zeal, bringing people to faith, discipling them, and training them in your word. And this week specifically, as we as a church family seek your face through prayer and fasting with the Psalms as our guide, Help us to develop a passion for you that supersedes everything else. Lord, to you who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, church... Uh... It is such a privilege, again, to carry all of our burdens to God in prayer. But the Bible also tells us that we are called to, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so we have made it a rhythm, a pattern 
of our church body to take a benevolence offering once a month. So ushers, I'd like to invite you to come and let's go ahead and begin taking that offering now. This is just a way that we care for one another that are in need in our own body and even those that come that are in need from our community. They see the fruit of this offering and so pray that you would give as the Lord would lead you and that you join us as we continue to worship in song now. places I will call, incline your ear to me anew, and hear my cry for mercy,
morning, Castleton Community Church. Our scripture reading this morning will be in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. If you need a Bible, feel free to grab one from the cart in the back, and if you don't have your own Bible, we'd love for you to take one home with you today. Again, we're looking at Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Julie. Morning, church. Good to be with you this morning, and uh, if you are in the pipeline and getting to know us as a church and are interested in becoming a member, um, we had a wonderful testimony about how important that is your Christian walk last week. Um, there is a membership class coming up this Saturday from 9 until 11.45 in the morning. It's called Castleton 101. Uh, you'll find out everything about what it means to covenant together, be a part of our church family. And uh, you don't have to become a member at the end of that, but it is the first step if you're sure that's where the Lord is leading you, a uh, very important part of your Christian walk. Um, secondly, you may notice that the text we read this morning is not from the book of Micah. Um, usually we are working our way through books of the Bible. We're taking a one-week hiatus because, as Luke mentioned, we're kicking off a week of prayer and fasting as a church. Uh, that means starting tonight and for the next five nights, we will have special services at 7 o'clock where we will gather together and pray and sing, and we're inviting our whole church body to engage in some sort of fasting. And uh, I have a burden to be as clear and helpful as I can be about what that means and 
how that is a good thing for us as Christians. So this morning, we will have a message that will land in Acts 13. It's really going to be a topical message. We don't do a lot of that here, but it's uh, helpful in this case about the topic of fasting and how it plugs into your faith as a Christian. Uh, As is always the case, we need the Lord's help for any sort of study of the Bible. So let's pray and begin our study. Father, I ask you to do what you have promised to do, to bless your word, your word which you send out for a particular purpose, just like you send the rain to water the earth and bring forth life. Father, you send forth your word to bring about spiritual life within each of us that hears. Oh, Father, give us ears to hear. Change us. Let us see our satisfaction in Jesus and the way he is worth forsaking everything in this earth for. Help us to, with faith, pursue your face. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We live in a moment when people are spending a lot of time thinking about what they put in their bodies. Uh, Have you noticed when you go to a restaurant or you're ordering something, there's almost always an alternative menu of some sort, if you're gluten-free or if you're a vegan. Uh, Certainly, we have lots of options when you're trying to eat clean, whole foods and the whole uh, premium grocery store movement, right? There's lots of options for the people who are being very careful about what they eat. I was a little shocked to find out, though, the most popular strategy of all when it comes to using your food for your health. According to the International Food Information Council, that's a mouthful, the top strategy among Americans last year was fasting. Turns out no food at all is the best strategy we could come up with. Fasting is a fad, a full-blown fad. Intermittent fasting, fasting from different types of foods for different lengths of time. If you dare, you can Google benefits of fasting, but just know what you're signing up for. You will, like me, have fasting ads following you around the internet for the next month if you do. Now, I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist. I will not tell you whether it's a good idea for the sake of your body to engage in fasting. But I do find it ironic that at a time where our culture is so enamored with the idea of fasting, that in my experience, so many Christians aren't really that interested. Uh, Maybe you're like me. For a large chunk of my Christian life, I had never really thought much about fasting. Uh, I knew vaguely about the idea. I'd heard about Gandhi's 21-day fast and all stuff like that. But I'd never really thought that I, as a Christian, might want to do this. I certainly didn't know where in the Bible to look. So when one day, when a friend came up and asked me, Tommy, do you want to join me? In a fast, I was a bit thrown off. Is this a form of legalism? Is it some sort of mysticism borrowed from another religion? Am I going to ruin my walk with Christ? Or is it something I'm obligated to do as a Christian? Well, as I've grown in my uh, walk with Christ, and as I've paid more time to look at what the Bible says, I've come to the conclusion that fasting is not something Christians should be afraid of. And in fact, if we rightly understand it, we would think of fasting as a gift. A gift from our Heavenly Father to help us to seek the best thing of all, His very face. 
Uh, my hope this morning as we study what the Bible has to say about fasting is you'll come to this conclusion. That fasting in faith helps us seek the Lord's face. Fasting in faith helps us seek the Lord's face. Now again, since we're not moving through one particular passage, I'm going to structure our message this morning in four questions that we will answer about fasting. The first of that questions is the most basic. What is fasting? I don't know about you, but when I get onto a topic, I want to know the basic idea. What are we even talking about? Well, fasting, I came across a definition by a guy named Donald Whitney in a book on spiritual disciplines. I think this is pretty close to what the Bible means when it uses the word fasting. It says, fasting is voluntary abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose. Voluntary abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose. You might say, not eating for the sake of your soul. Now, Christians and the, those who have uh, been God's people in the Old Testament are not the first people on earth to use fasting in this way. Uh, most major religions in the world use fasting in some uh, form or the other. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, they all do. So it's important for us to make sure that the Bible actually informs our, what we think about fasting and, and not just the general spiritual thought of our days. So why don't we begin by seeing what God said about fasting in the Old Testament. Uh, generally, there was only one place where God required his people to fast regularly, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Uh, actually, just last week was Yom Kippur, that uh, special day God gave his people to remember the need for their sins to be cleansed by the sacrifices of blood. As a part of that day, God instructed them to afflict themselves, that is, to fast. Uh, you can also see fasting present in the lives of many of the people in the Old Testament that you think of as heroes. Uh, think of great King David. When he heard that Saul had been killed, David announced a fast for he and his men to grieve God's anointed being killed. When David was broken over his sin, over the, his son, as a result of his union with Bathsheba, he fasted and prayed before the Lord as a part of his repentance. Or what about the, the prophet Daniel? You see, at the beginning of the book, he engages in a sort of fast. God has a, him and uh, abstain from the food of Nebuchadnezzar's table. And God blesses that effort as he eats only vegetables. There's also at the end of the, near the end of the book where Daniel is fasting and praying, asking the Lord to sh forgive his people for the sins that sent them into exile. You can think of Nehemiah calling for a fast as he and the people repent before the Lord, even of their faithlessness in their matters of marriage. Uh, it's not too much to say a regular pattern for God's people in the Old Testament is to abstain from eating for the sake of their souls. So that's what fasting is. And we'll come back to that in a bit when we get to some of the practicalities of fasting. But but I don't know about you, I, I'm not living under the Old Testament covenant. I'm a Christian. I'm under the new covenant in Christ. So I had a, something I needed to answer for myself. Is fasting something a Christian should do? Or you might say it, who should fast? Well, that's our second question. 
My answer is that yes, Christians should fast. Uh, certainly, we see the example of Jesus himself fasting. Remember, before his ministry kicked off, the Holy Spirit led him off into the desert. And then 40 days, 40 nights, Jesus doesn't eat as he is being tested in the wilderness. But none of us are Jesus, right? So are there any examples of Christians, either by expectation or by example, fasting? Well, well yes, there are both. Uh, we can see the expectation in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bible, flip there. Matthew 6, verse 16. This is one of those cases where just a small detail of how a sentence is constructed makes a diff big difference. Just the first part of the verse. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He says... And when you fast. And then he goes on to explain what to do then. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. But think of those first four words. And when you fast. Theologian Jonathan Edwards points out that it would make a world of difference if Jesus had said, if you fast. But that's not what he said. He said, when you fast. Uh, the father who hands keys to his son and says, when you bring the car home tonight, make sure it's full of gas, is setting the expectation that the car will come home tonight. So too, when Jesus says, when you fast, he may not be filling in all the details and requiring very specific things of us, but generally, there is the expectation that we will engage in fasting. Uh, we see that very thing happening when you go past the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, to the earliest Christians in Acts 14, we see that as they go about planting churches and assigning elders and shepherds over them, what do they do? They pray and they fast before they assign those shepherds. And then, of course, there is a passage which we read at the beginning of the sermon, Acts 13. It is a highly lifted up example for us of the great gift that fasting is for God's people. And that's where we're going to turn our attention next. Why should we fast? What's the benefit from it? Now we're going to focus in on Acts 13. Now let me give you a, a little intro to what's happening in Acts. This is a, a very pivotal moment in the life of the church. Uh, the Christians have spread to Antioch, not because of some grand strategy, but because persecution had gotten too intense and they had to get out of Dodge. So a number of them end up in Antioch, which is modern-day Turkey. And that's the frontier for the church at this point. Now, in chapter 11, that church was stumbled upon by a guy named Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas is a greatly gifted brother. He realizes this church is in need of shepherding and teaching. So he goes off and looks for someone that can help him and finds a guy, a new, young, gifted Christian by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He grabs Saul. They come to Antioch together. They spend some time there teaching and shepherding the flock. And as they do, this church grows. It is a vibrant, spiritually living church that you get the sense is on the verge of something huge happening. And in these first verses of chapter 13, we see what that thing is. God's about to use them to kick off the missionary movement that will turn the whole world upside down. 
They, this is all going to happen in the context of a worship service. Uh, we're told that there are gathered all the leaders of the church, a great diversity of them. Five of them are named. They're from different parts of the world, Africa, as well as the more traditionally Jewish places. Uh, they're from different stations of life. Saul learning under the highest teacher of, of the Jews in his day. You have someone who's a, a best bud growing up with Herod of all people. This diverse group of leaders in verse 2, it seems as if they're gathered with the rest of the church while they were worshiping the Lord. Now, now notice that what they were doing was wrapped up with three things. It was worship in verse 2, it's fasting, and then in verse 3, it's praying. They are together reading scripture, singing songs, abstaining from food so that they might seek the Lord's face together. Now, before we go any further, we need to stop because there is a pretty significant ditch that many Christians fall into when it comes to fasting. Because of examples like this and down through church history where God uses fasting and prayer in a great way to do great things, Christians sometimes fall under the idea that fasting manipulates God into giving us blessings. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls it having a mechanical view of God. God basically turns into a giant vending machine. He has the blessings inside that you want to get at, so you just got to figure out the right coins to put inside that he'll spit out your blessing for you. Uh, unfortunately, you can find a lot of TV preachers which will say lots of things about fasting, like it will unleash your spiritual power. It is supercharging for the Christian life. If you need a breakthrough, just fast for sure. Send me some money and you will be sure to have what you need. Now that is frankly a, a wicked way to think about something that God's given us as a gift. In Isaiah 58, God made clear that fasting doesn't obligate him to us in any way. You, you can't make God owe you by doing anything religious. Isaiah 58 verse 3. The people are asking God this. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Then God responds. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. God is not interested in fasting that is a replacement for faithfulness for his people. You can't live a life of sin and then abstain from a little food and think that that balances things out with you and God. Now, friend, there's nothing you can do to work off your sin with God, and there's nothing you can do to earn credit with him in heaven, fasting or any other spiritual work. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I have to say this is the most common misunderstanding I find among non-Christians. As they assume that what the Bible teaches is that we need to be better people to be acceptable to God. That what God wants are people that are kind and virtuous and nice to each other, and that he gives us rules and precepts and values that would help us to live better lives. And if we live it well enough, well, then one day maybe we'll end up in heaven. But friend, that is the exact opposite of the message the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we on our own are completely at odds with God. 
that there's nothing we could do to even begin to pay back the debt our sin has incurred. That we can't make God owe us anything, and yet we owe God everything, and we have no way of paying it. But the good news is that God has given freely what we could never earn. He sent his son, Jesus, to come and live a perfect life, to give up his life willingly as a substitute by paying for our sins with his own blood. As Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty each and every sinner deserved if they'll turn to God through faith in him. So friend, don't try and earn your way to God. It'll be a fruitless task. And don't misunderstand this message as saying you need to fast to be right with God. No, you need to come to God through faith in Jesus. That's the only way you can have a right relationship with God now and forever. But if you are someone that has come to God through faith in Jesus, by grace alone, through faith alone, then fasting is a great gift. Fasting is something that can help you have the greatest of all joys in even greater measure, the joy of Jesus himself. There are two things we can see from Acts 13 of reasons why fasting is something that Christians should do in faith. The first is that fasting helps us to seek God. It helps us to seek God. Maybe you have a smartphone that like most smartphones these days, has actually has technology built in to try and help you not to use it. Uh, Have you seen that? There's this concept of digital well-being. Even the smartphone makers have realized that us being addicted to our screens is bad for us. So they've built in features that will make it so your phone won't be chiming and vibrating and chirping at you all day long. It turns out that we need sometimes to be able to do certain types of work or to relax and recharge. We need to be able to just get away from all of that distraction. One of the purposes that fasting has in the Christian life is it's like putting do not disturb on in your heart. It helps you to push away the regular rhythms that so easily consume all of our time and mental energy. And in that space that's created, have the room to be able to pursue God. Think about how much of your time goes into eating. It takes time to cook, to plan meals, to shop putting it on the plate, getting it at the table, setting the table, cleaning the table, getting all the kids to stay at the table. Cleaning up afterwards is a chore. It costs money. It takes energy. It takes time. Uh, Imagine if even just for a short period of time, all the activity that goes around food were suddenly to be off your plate. Imagine how much freer you would be Well, that's one of the things that fasting does. It it frees you up to be able to, yes, seek the Lord, to pray, to worship, to spend time in the Bible so that you can have the better thing than the little morsel of food you're thinking about. You can have God himself in greater measure. Now, one of the things that is built into this is as we wipe away the normal rhythms of eating, a new sort of helpful rhythm starts up. Uh, If you fast for any length of time, you will know what hunger pains are. Your body reminds you again and again that you want to eat. 
that can actually be a great help for your spiritual life. If every time you are reminded that you're hungry, you're reminded why you're doing what you're doing. Oh, I'm hungry. I need to feed on Christ. Oh, I'm hungry. I need to pray for that person that I said I was going to pray for. Oh, I'm hungry. I need to remember all that I have in Jesus. Fasting could be a great help if it helps us to clear the deck, be undistracted so we can seek the Lord's face. So I I need to ask, are, are you in a spot where you could use a little bit of do not disturb in your soul? Are you in a spot where you need to pray more for your children? Maybe you need to pray more for your own soul? Uh, Maybe it's just the speed at which life keeps going and you you just are feeling as if you just need to press pause a little bit. Fasting could be a helpful thing for you there. It's not an end to itself, but it's a great help for what we should already be doing, pursuing Christ. Uh, There's a, a second thing we can see from Acts 13. Is that fasting is something we should do if we want others to see God as we have. Now, notice here that while they're in the midst of this worship service, something incredible happens. God speaks. He he speaks. We're not told exactly how it happens. Maybe it's to one of the prophets that's there. Maybe it's to some sort of audible voice that they all heard. We're not told for sure. But we do know is that they know that God said something. And this something was highly significant. God told them to set aside Barnabas and Saul and send them out as missionaries for the work he was going to call them to. And those two, as they went, would turn the world upside down and all the dominoes that fell since then. All the churches they would plant. All the people that would become Christians. All the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. You could trace it all back to this prayer meeting in Acts 13. Now, as Christians, one of the things we should desire most of all is to see the will of our Lord Jesus Christ happen on earth. As he prayed, it would be as, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. If we desire to see people hear the gospel and become converted, if we desire to see churches planted, if we desire to see justice done in the world like we talked about last week, then fasting can be a great help to us. What we see in this example is something that down through church history, you've seen happen again and again. That God uses the means he gives his people to seek his face and to ask him to intervene in the world. Maybe you're aware of the the great awakening that swept through the United States. A time when people came to Christ in numbers that it's unprecedented. I'm reading biographies of people that preached during that area. That era, I can't help but just wishing in my heart, Lord, would you do it again? Do it again. One of the things that was learned about how the Lord did that huge revival was that leading up to it was a great interest in prayer and fasting. Uh, One of the theologians of that day, Jonathan Edwards, as he reflected back on it, he said that any time there is a revival, before that can happen, the seed of it, is God's people being led to pray and fast. Uh, He was so convinced of that, that after these revivals had long left, he thought that the cause of the spiritual laziness in his day 
was that God's people, particularly the clergy, were not praying and fasting enough. Brothers and sisters, I I don't know if his assessment was 100% right, but it strikes me as very true based on experience. That when you see God doing something great, when you see him pouring down blessings, that there's almost always some group of believers somewhere that have been intentionally praying and seeking his face. Yes, even with fasting. So do you long to see your neighbors come to Christ? Do you have someone in your family that you want so badly to become a Christian? Is your heart broken over how twisted our society has become? Then, brothers and sisters, would we not avail ourselves of this gift? Would we not together draw near to God, seek his face, and do it with prayer and fasting? That's all we're trying to do with our prayer and fasting this week, is have an opportunity together to gather and to seek the Lord. Uh, Now, we're going to be focusing on different things each night. And if you want to know what those things are, uh, we have some cards that are available uh, right behind that wall. You can pick one up. But I I encourage you, whatever you are burdened by as a Christian that you think needs to happen in the name of our Lord Jesus, whatever that thing is, it is worth giving up a few meals for. We as a church should long to see more of Jesus, more of his grace among us, more people coming to know that grace around us and gathered into his church. I hope the Lord will make us into a people that fasts and prays in faith. Okay, and this last question, how should we fast? I'm going to try to be as practical as I can be to clear up as many misconceptions as I can and to hopefully encourage you as much as I can. Um, I, I found in my time as a a junior high leader that one of the most important things was to have a plan. Uh, Things can go wrong so quickly if you just decide to wing it. And when it comes to fasting, in my experience, when you start out with a plan, it's much more likely you will find the experience to be fruitful. So let me give you four things that you should decide ahead of time before you decide to try and undertake a fast. The first would be decide what you will fast from. Now, I've already pointed out that fasting, as you see the word in the Bible, is almost always referring, it is always referring in the Bible, to uh, abstaining from food. But that doesn't mean there is no way in which it's legitimate for you to fast from something else. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, "Uh, to make the matter complete... We would add that fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not only be confined to the question of food and drink, fasting should really be uh, made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. Uh, The idea Dr. Lloyd-Jones has here is that you can give up anything that's not a sin, Anything that's given by God to you as a gift, you can give it up for a time for the sake of your soul. You you can stop using your smartphone for a week, a digital fast. You can decide to give up your exercise time and routine for a week. Uh, You can carve out your mornings and instead of using that time to catch up on the news, instead use that time to read your Bible. 
Uh, there's lots of different ways you can uh, participate in a fast in this sense. And that's really important because there are some people who medically really can't uh, participate in fasting. Uh, if you're pregnant or you have some other medical condition, you probably shouldn't go a long time without food. So if you have any doubts, I would highly recommend you talk to your doctor before you try it. Now, with that said, whatever you decide you are going to do, remember that purpose. It is to seek the Lord. So first, decide what you're going to fast from. Second, decide with whom you will fast. Uh, in Acts 13, we see an example of Christians fasting together in a, a worship service gathering type experience, very similar to what we're going to do this week. It's also a very much appropriate, legitimate for you to fast on your own. And I encourage you before the Lord to incorporate both types of fasting into your Christian walk. Now, just as an aside, sometimes Christians are hesitant to reach out to other Christians to ask them to join them in a fast for a particular time or reason. Now, I've been invited to many different types of fasts, and I can tell you I've never been offended that someone would invite me. Uh, it may seem like you are imposing, but even if you can't participate, it is a sign of love to be invited to join someone in something so beneficial as fasting. So be bold. If you, the Lord lays it on your heart to, to fast for something, maybe invite some other church members to join you for a time. Uh, that's what we're doing as a church, by the way. We are inviting all of us to join together for this week in some measure, however we feel that the Lord might lead us. Uh, next, you need to decide how you're going to use the space created by your fast. Maybe you've had this experience in another area of life where the time seems to just fly away. You get a day off and you have all these ideas of how you're going to use it. And then household chores and a phone call and an email. And before you know it, it seems like the day is gone. Well, if you're not careful, that margin that you create by not eating or abstaining from something else, it will get used up by something. Certainly, the, the devil would love to keep you from using that time to seek the Lord. Your flesh also will be tempted to use it for other things, whatever they are, aside from seeking the spiritual. So, at the beginning, decide, how am I going to use this time? Decide if you'll use it for more Bible reading. Decide if you use it to pray for someone the Lord's laid upon your heart. Decide if you might use it to serve someone as a, as a Christian. Or, or maybe you come to prayer gatherings like the ones we're having this week. Whatever it is, decide ahead of time. Now the final thing I'll say is make sure that you decide to do this in liberty as a Christian. There's nowhere in the New Testament where it prescribes, where it says, you as a Christian must fast this often or in this way. And where the Bible does not require of us, we should not require of each other, even ourselves. So as you think about what the Lord would have you do related to fasting, please don't fall into this cycle of merit and guilt where you think somehow you're rising and falling spiritually based on how well you do this fast. Uh, remember, this is something meant to be used as a help, to help build godly discipline. And it's okay if you get halfway into a fast and you have to break it. It's okay if someone invites you to a fast and you can't do it at that time. What matters is that you seek the Lord as you are able. 
And as you do, I'm sure you'll find what so many Christians have found. That fasting is nothing to fear. It's a great gift for us to seek the Lord's face in faith. As we've thought about this week of prayer and fasting, it was something we weren't able to do last year. We weren't able to gather for so much of the year. It just wasn't the, the time for it. And uh, our pastors and elders, we, we felt deeply the desire to, to do this again because it was so beneficial the last time we did it. As I was reflecting back on it, I realized uh, this week it was even more important than I thought. It was right around this time. I don't remember precisely if it was September or October, but it was in the fall of 2019. Uh, we knew as a church that we had some significant things coming in front of us. We were about to become independent as part of our church planting process, self-governing. We also knew that there was going to be an election and it seemed like it was pretty polarized. So we felt the need to spend time praying, seeking the Lord's face. Yes, fasting and asking him to unite us, to build our faith, to prepare us for whatever it would come next and to guide us what he would have us do. Now, little did we know what 2020 would bring. A global pandemic. Months and months of not being able to see each other in person at all. And then seeing each other only this much. As I thought back to it, we had no clue how difficult 2020 was going to be. But in God's kindness, in his goodness, he had given us a gift to prepare ourselves. We fasted. We prayed. And I heard over and over again how much closer we felt to each other. How much we felt as if the Lord had moved among us, was preparing us for what came next. And here we are on the other end of at least a good bit of that trial. I don't think it's wrong for us to see that God used that week of prayer and fasting in a great way. So brothers and sisters, I do not know what 2022 or beyond will bring. I cannot tell you for sure what trials your own life will bring. But I feel very confident to be able to say, it is worth your time to seek the Lord's face. And fasting in faith will help you to do that. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus. Thank you for being the true bread from heaven. The spiritual sustenance our souls feed on and need and will be sustained by forever. Oh Jesus, would you remind us how little this world has to offer us? Would you remind us of how fleeting our days are and how flimsy and temporary all the things that even sustain our lives in this world are? Would you help us to see through the, the rhythms of meal to meal and day to day to the things that are lasting and eternal, to you, the true bread for our souls? Jesus, would you spark within us a hunger to have more of you, to seek your face where you can be found through prayer and your word and worship. 
Would you even help us to have the conviction and the discipline to, to push off legitimate good things like food for a time so we can have more of you? Oh, Jesus, even now as we turn our attention to your return, would you remind us that there is a great feast coming? A feast that will go on forever, that will be full of joy because it will be a feast with you. Oh, Jesus, we pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand with us as we close in singing? As Tommy prayed, we're going to sing a new song to the Lord today that talks about that day coming when fasting will cease and we will feast with the Lord in his house at his table forever and ever. And what a day that will be. So I want to teach you the chorus real quick before we get into it. It goes like this. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. Go sing that with us.
feast looking forward to, isn't it? Looking forward to. Brothers and sisters, uh, if you are going to be a member for sure, or you suspect so, or if you're a member and maybe don't like the picture that is in the member booklet, um, downstairs there are new uh, portraits being taken. Uh, You can go down and get it taken, and and hopefully this time it'll turn out the way you like. Um, I want to send you out with this thought. Remember The one who has satisfied your soul, the one who is worth seeking, even if it means abstaining from food or anything else. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Go as those who are satisfied in Jesus Christ. Amen.